0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course.
3: Good evening, Susan. How are you?
2: Wonderful. What I have to share today is, wow, mm-hmm. wow, 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 the autumn colors are so great. Oh, my gosh. And Zoe, mm-hmm. the apprentice, and I went for a walk, and we we could hardly walk more than five minutes before stopping and going, Oh, look. Oh, look at that tree. Oh, look at that hillside. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's so beautiful. There are places Mm -hmm. where you're like walking through like golden clouds of leaves and then places where one particular tree has blazed into this eye searing red. And of course, people plant burning bush, aptly named. It's a you know, nondescript green shrub all spring and summer, but then come fall it goes BAM and it turns the brightest red you've ever seen. So we are really, Justine called it color therapy. She said, oh, we're in the midst of a great bath of color therapy.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear too, and we haven't got any rain, so the leaves are really holding on to the trees
2: right now. Not too late to go out there and harvest mints. Um, you know, those mints are kind of semi-hardy. Once it gets really, really cold, they will, like, just kind of fold up. For the winter time, but they're gonna survive for quite a while, and uh, we can still, at least where I am, you can still harvest flowering motherwort to tincture. Catnip is making good, strong regrowth. The field mint is still flowering and really enjoying itself. So,
3: I just harvested some daga over the weekend. It was my, it's my first experience with that growing that from seed, and oh, what a wow. beautiful flower that is.
2: Speaking of the mint, tell us but, more. What does yeah. the flower look like? Is that a, a is that it, a Leonurus? It.
3: I. What is the dog? I shouldn't have even mentioned it if I don't even know that. I know that it is a mint. It's like a non-aromatic mint. Um, right. Well, what, what does it look I, like? It is. Um, sh- I should look at it while I'm talking about it, but it is like a a lobed flower, like the one you know, like mint flowers are, yeah. and uh-huh. um, it, has, it has several um, flowers on
2: one. Um, on let's see, where is it? at?
3: I have it drying. I'm going to dry it and. Uh, so the
2: mints tend to flower at the top, like spearmint, and yeah, lavender. Yes, right. A flower in necklaces around the stalk, like mm-hmm. peppermint and motherwort.
3: Yeah, this has like a several, uh, like it's a, they're very clumped together, like all of the, the flowering top is.
2: So are the flowers and mostly bite. at the top, or are they in little necklaces along the stem?
3: They're so mostly all at the top.
2: Mm-hmm, and, Okay. Um,
3: and each flower oh, is like they're bright orange and there's like these fuzzy, bright orange, like they're just so vibrant and bold. I mean such a unique flower, you know. Hmm. Wow. hmm. So Yeah, really beautiful. And I guess they're I mean, you, I've heard you talk about Daga before, haven't I? That it's a it's a psychoactive
2: mint. It is when considered you
3: psychoactive
2: it. usually dried and smoked. Mm-hmm. One of, one of I think, three mints that have some psychoactive properties. Four, if you count coleus.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Which has to be digested by putting a big wad of leaves in your mouth and not chewing them and not swallowing your saliva and leaving it there for an hour. So it's a little awkward.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I'm interested and then is salvia that is a mint as well, right? And that's the other salvia one. Salvia divinorum, no.
2: salvia is sage, right? Salvia officinalis mm-hmm. is garden sage. Mhm. In New Zealand, I visited a sage garden and they had over 500 different varieties of salvia.
3: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, the salvia did the, ignore them. they hybridize I'm...
2: and grow very readily you know the, mm-hmm. there are salvias that are grown just for their flowers and they have big tall spikes of flowers I always get uh, one or two from my outdoor garden because they really attract hummingbirds because they have those deep throated flowers you usually get the red oh, ones right. of like the red better
3: Yeah, I have some salvia um, at my other garden that's, like, these tall, I I think they're called, like, meadow salvia or something. The hummingbirds love those, and they flower for so long. Right. Uh, Like, I was just over there this morning, and the the hummingbirds were still still all Uh, over them. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they're really low maintenance, too. All you have to do is plant them, and they
2: take care of themselves. Pretty much, yes. Sages are like that. All you know, many of the Mediterranean mints are really tolerant of drought and poor soil and too much sun. And
3: mm-hmm.
2: in fact, about the only thing that can really harm them is overwatering them.
3: Yeah, yeah. I was my question. I do have a question for you about the dog, because I know I do not have any uh experience with the salvia divinorum, but I have heard of people's experiences being quite intense with it, but do you think that uh the the daga have you smoked it like is it comparable to like that intensity or I kind of have a feeling that it's not as intense but
2: I mean being with the flowers I haven't. oh yeah, I haven't and i I do think it is it is closely related to motherwort,
5: mhm. Yeah. And
2: so I think that it's, you know, more on the order of uh, gentle opening to nature, not a high-powered uh, ride through outer space. Okay.
3: Okay. I like that better. <laughs> right now, anyway, I mean, you know, each has its own benefit. But I'm the salvia, the divinorum. for some reason I've just never – wanted to go there after I don't know, you know. For whatever reason it hasn't attracted me.
2: Yes. One of the nice things about smoking plants is that you have such precise control of the dose. The right. effects are pretty yeah. immediate and as soon as you've achieved the desired effect you can stop.
3: Mhm. Whereas mm-hmm. if you
2: eat or drink or take a tincture or make a tea something by the time it's taking effect this it's, it's some time since you've actually taken it, so it's easy to take too much
3: mhm, right right yeah
2: so there so there's that to be said for the salvia divinorum
5: mm-hmm.
2: that like the daga is often smoked, and so you have a much more precise control over your experience,
3: mhm.
2: Insofar as one can have control over a psychedelic experience,
3: right, right. It's all about giving up the but control. But of really. course, you can
2: create the steps. You create the, you create right. the intention. <laughs> mhm. So that's why these plants are part of deep medicine, mm-hmm. right up there with surgery. You don't go into surgery nonchalantly because you don't have anything better to do.
3: Right. Mhm. Yeah, I picked up a book uh, at my friend's house the other day, and it was um, Journeys with the Sacred Mushroom, I think is what it's called, and it's uh, some of Gordon Wasson's experiences with Maria Sabina and talking. But it showed this one part where uh, it was translated from the Mazatec shamans and how they set up the ceremony. And uh, it's just very similar in, like, the way that – I think it's just the way that, like, medicine women always work is, like, setting up that sacred space of, you know, inviting what you want in and keeping out what you don't want in and being very intentional intentional, intentional about, like, the space that you're creating and what's, you know um, – what what kind of energy and uh, that you want to invite in? So it was just like this. Uh, it was it, it, these was back in the fifties when this was written too. So it was like, it, you know, it's like something that spans across time. It's like this like timeless like wisdom of working with these like sacred uh, uh, entheogens.
2: Yes, acknowledge your power. Stand in your power. Mm-hmm acknowledge yeah. the power of the plant or mushroom that you are going to have a relationship with and create a ceremonial container mhm whatever that mm-hmm. looks like to you whatever that sounds like or smells like whatever color it is what whatever language it's in there needs to be a container Yeah, yeah. 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 we hope in coming weeks you will tell us of your explorations with DAGA. Mm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to and the, the, um already. And and along those lines our guest tonight is Carrie Waring, a modern medium. And she is into the divine female. She wants you to be sensual, confident, creative, intuitive, and energetically aligned. And you might just find out that you're a medium too. That's at nine o'clock. So stick with mm-hmm. us till then, or I'm back, and you will get to hear Carrie Waring. Do we have any questions um, tonight?
3: We do. We have some people with their hands raised. Make sure to press 1 to ask your question. And our first caller is coming from the 845 area code.
5: Hello?
2: Hi. Hi. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I'm calling in today um, to talk about something that is not often talked about. Chemical sensitivities. Tell me more. I developed a sensitivity to oven cleaner a few years ago um, because I got overexposed when I was cleaning somebody else's house. And fast forward three years later, now I live with someone who went absolutely nuts with the oven cleaner in a way that they weren't supposed to use it. Like they didn't put it in the oven. Instead, they were spraying it kind of freeform like, um, you know, like Febreze <laughs> all over um, the kitchen. So I cleaned it up, and I cleaned up whatever would have been dried on, but a homeopathic amount of it remains, and that's what's kind of still making me sick. And um, I'm not severely ill, but I'm Actually, getting, um, a
2: homeopathic amount would make you not react to it at all because that's how homeopathy works, like cures like in homeopathy.
0: Mm-hmm. well all of the remains
2: that I really anything- hear you um, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I of course am wondering why it is that you did not ask for help uh, and take yourself out of the environment where that oven cleaner was certainly it was regrettable that this person sprayed it all over um, but knowing that you're sensitive to it um, and I tell you so that I hope you will remember if anything like this occurs in the future The very best thing to do is to step back from it. Call a friend and say, oh, my gosh, this terrible thing has happened. There's oven cleaner all over my house, my kitchen, whatever. I am allergic to it. I really need your help to please come and clear this away. What can I do for you in exchange?
0: Yeah, so I pretty so much cleaned it out.
2: It's difficult to ask for help. I know it's easier to jump in and do it ourselves. But you started out by tell, like, telling me that you are sensitive to oven cleaner, and so it's mm-hmm. certainly one substance in the world that I would have you totally and completely avoid. In fact, I have great wonderment that you would even have any oven cleaner in a space where you live. And my oh, yeah,
0: strong is
2: to not ever have any oven cleaner. Anywhere where you live yeah,
0: i I've never like I got I have right used it.
2: oven cleaner. I would never use such a caustic, horrible chemical.
0: I know it should be banned.
2: <laughs> well, I it's certainly so should be banned from your house. We can't say what's good for others, but we know what's not good for you, and that's oven cleaner
0: so I meanwhile a lot of
2: ask you this: are you drinking your nourishing herbal infusions?
0: Yeah, I've taken a lot of nettle after this, and it did kind of help me through it.
2: So what do you and mean? You I took,
0: was,
2: what do you mean when you said you took nettle?
0: Lots of nettle infusion.
2: Okay, and what
0: kind of scale are you using? Oh, I'm not using a scale. I'm just using a cup. I uh-huh. always use a cup in in um, that you know mason jar that's like one liter or whatever.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, standard mason jar i forget what that is but i understand
2: understand. if you can't afford a scale um i certainly you know don't want you to feel awkward about not being able to afford a scale but it's not a volume measurement it's a weight measurement it's one Mm -hmm. ounce yeah it's one ounce it's not cup it never has been a cup
0: it never will be a cup it's not yeah i actually do have a scale but and I want, want you to, the habit of
2: just want kind you to of actually make nourishing herbal infusion by weighing the herb. Okay. It will work better. It's a weight measurement. It's not mm-hmm. a volume measure.
0: Okay.
2: I'm glad that you've been working with nettle and that you have been doing that. Do you generally rotate through the five infusion herbs?
0: On and off, but I haven't been doing it lately. So I reached right for the nettle because I know that nettle is good for chemical sensitivities. Um, Well,
2: what I'm thinking is that we're not at the point where we can, you know, help you not have a chemical sensitivity because you do and you've been re-exposed. And then what we want to do is cut down on inflammation and response to it. And so I would think more comfrey, linden, red clover. And it's one of the reasons why there's five herbs in the rotation. And I suggest that people rotate through those five herbs.
0: That way you just catch all the bases, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good idea. I guess they have different types of properties when you go through all of them that can be helpful after an exposure like this? Of course.
4: hmm
2: Right, because... A lot of, um, and I don't know because you haven't told me, but a lot of people who have an allergic reaction to chemicals, it's in their nervous system. Mm. And that can Encoded in the DNA. Breathing difficulties or skin difficulties, but by and large it's the nervous system that's responding, and so the oat straw and the red clover really strengthen the nervous system and the linden and the country are very strongly anti-inflammatory now the mm-hmm. nettle does nourish the adrenals but it's more of a long-run thing
0: Oh, okay because I did have a lot of immediate relief with that but I hear what you're saying about rotating through all five wonderful is there a substance that you can put in your kitchen that would absorb or adsorb any of the poison that you can't physically get to to clean out?
2: Borax or baking powder?
0: Baking powder, not baking, I'm soda. Not, I'm sorry,
2: baking soda.
0: Okay. Is that something you can leave in a dish and kind of push in the corner and let it soak up? all of the poison that's what been embedded in, in the What people generally do is they
2: sprinkle the borax or the baking soda around mm-hmm. into those cracks and crevices and then later on vacuum it up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did some of that. Okay. But that's good. How about charcoal? Does that work?
2: Oh, it makes such a mess.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll bet it would take, you know, eons to, like, wash that out. Totally. Don't go there. Mm. And, okay.
2: and again, you know, we create at least some part of our reality. I'm not claiming that we totally create our reality. You did not create a reality in which someone ran amok and sprayed oven cleaner everywhere. But you are creating a reality in which there are microscopic bits of it there that are, are annoying you. And because you've created that reality, you can uncreate it as well hmm You don't have to be annoyed by that. Your body doesn't have to be annoyed by that. You can let that go.
0: Okay. So letting it go by cleaning it or by distancing from it or by contemplating it? You've created a story that this microscopic
2: amount still there. It's what we call here putting a duck in a bottle.
0: It's a Japanese... So you don't think...
2: Japanese Zen koan, right? I don't know if you've heard it. There's a bottle and there's a duck. And the bottle has a rather large neck. And there's some grain, some corn in the bottle. And the duck squeezes into the bottle. And gets in there and eats the corn. And eats the corn and gets thinner. And now the duck wants to get out of the bottle. But it can't get out of the bottle. Oh my God, the duck is caught in the bottle. Oh dear, what is the duck going to do? Your task is to get that duck out of that bottle without hurting the duck and without breaking the bottle. And you have exactly two seconds to do it. Tick tock. Oh, the duck is out of the bottle. How's the duck out of the bottle? Well, how'd the duck get in the bottle?
0: There's no duck. There's no bottle. You imagined the whole thing, didn't you? Uh, not really. <laughs> it's an allergy. There's like it's a physiological thing, but
2: you are imagining that there's still microscopic bits of it there.
0: Um, well, I'm still reacting to it, so I would say this is an allergy. Only they don't call it an allergy. It's a chemical sensitivity. I'm saying so-
2: that the continuation of the allergy is under your control. The initial response is not. Did this happen within the past hour?
0: Um, Past couple of weeks, actually.
2: That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. You are now in the area where you have control. You didn't originally. I totally acknowledge that. Originally, it was an allergic reaction. It isn't now.
0: Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so that would so that would entail again, distancing from it or detoxing. Changing from it your story. Changing your story. You
2: are telling yourself the story that there are microscopic homeopathic bits of oven cleaner still in that room or still in your house. And I don't think
0: it's so. Okay, not even in the porous substances like the plastic? No, that's where not in
2: anywhere at all.
0: I don't. Okay. All right, so I think the baking soda thing sounds good. I'm going to continue on with that. All right. And borax I have, so I What's can definitely thing? try that. Okay, yeah.
2: dokie, and some nourishing herbal infusions. And it sounds like you're set to go.
0: Okay. <laughs> All righty. Thank you so things. much. Bye bye.
3: Okay, the next caller is coming from the six zero four area code. Hi, hi Susan.
6: Can you hear me? Hi. Hi, this is Adriana. I'm calling for my mother again, and also for myself, I have a few things. I'm hoping that we can both be on this call since we only have one phone here that's working. Sure. Okay, great. Well, nice to um, hear your voice again this week, and I just wanted to update you with my mom. So we have a few questions for you. Um, She's having a hard time um, having her bowels move, and she was wondering... She took a little bit of milk of magnesia this morning, uh, for, uh, 15 mg's. Um, she had done that about a week before, 15 mg's followed by some water, and 15 mg's about an hour later, and she had uh, her body gave a response. So, um, so then it, you know t- today she's been eating pretty well this week and. Today had felt that, you know, she was ready to uh, use the washroom and uh, wasn't able to. So we did, she did 15 MGs and then drank bone broth afterwards, and it didn't really work. And she's worried about that milk of magnesia because she feels like it burns her throat. She feels like a lot of things burn her throat, and so it's very hard for her to take anything really um um, um, away. So she wanted me to ask you If you had any ideas And she's got two things she's taking For stool softeners uh, Colace and Seneca. So wanted your feedback on those two um, uh, Options For her to start
2: Okay Let's start from here No one in the entire history of life on this planet, has ever died or been harmed by constipation. Yeah. It is complete non-issue. So I fail to understand why Moretta should harm herself to relieve a non-issue.
6: Well, I think um, Milk it of feels Malaysia very, it's very it uncomfortable.
2: Stop uh, taking it. Senna is a highly addictive herb, and I would never use it. And I don't know what the other thing you wa- was that you said. Is it a patent medicine?
6: It's called Colace.
2: What is Colace? It's it a stool
6: softener.
2: Mm-hmm. What, what's in right. it?
6: I am. Uh, colase is in it.
2: C O L A S E?
6: A uh, C E. C O L A C E.
2: And what is Colase derived from? Do you have any idea? The I ingredients say Colase? Yes. And that's it?
6: Yeah.
2: Well, it's a. Brand new one on me. I have no idea what it is.
6: Mm, Okay, well, maybe I'll get more information on that.
2: If you can find out a little more information on that. Uh, um, The ideal is to consume well cooked foods and adequate Mm -hmm. liquids, especially. Like bone broth and soups and nourishing herbal infusions. Should yeah. Maretta feel that she needs more than that? And it might take her body quite a while to decide to eliminate any waste. Because I suspect that she is not eating much. No. So there's not much and waste she's to lost eliminate. A lot of waste. And if she does want some extra help, nothing better than prunes. And if she's at the point where she can't actually eat, the prunes soak them overnight so that they become soft. And if even that is a difficulty, there is prune juice.
6: Oh, yeah, there is prune juice. Okay. And does prune juice work well as well?
2: Yes. Yes. And much better than any of the other things you've mentioned.
4: Oh, okay. Great.
2: And it's calories and it's fruit and it shouldn't unduly burn her throat. Okay. How, How many cups
6: of
0: prune juice?
6: How many cups of prune juice?
0: Whatever she wants.
2: I would start off with a small amount and work up again. The goal is not to relieve constipation. The goal is to have her feel that she's doing something that's good for her guts. And one of the things that is probably really good for her guts right now is not to have a bowel movement. Mm -hmm. In Chinese medicine, when we need more energy, the food stays in our body for the longest possible time. Mhm. No harm of any kind is being done. Okay. So let it be and if you need to do something about it, do some prunes. But not okay. senna she's, and not milk of magnesia and probably not collace whatever it is. She
6: she um she takes um, Mashed potatoes, Mashed potatoes and eggs, um, and and uh, pureed beets, and very cooked carrots every day. Some avocado and some yo- goat yogurt. That's basically Wonderful. her. Uh, yeah, but say that that gets stuck. It gets stuck. And hurt. And and her and it hurts her stomach a lot.
2: Okay. The stomach is an organ without nerve endings. And it lies above your belly button. The guts have nerve endings. And they lie behind and below your belly button. Most people, when they say their stomach, actually mean their guts. And there is nothing that you have mentioned that could in any way get stuck in your intestines. In fact... The entire digestive tract is covered with a layer of mucus-producing cells, and those cells are replaced every 24 hours. seeing to it that there is a consistent movement unless there's an adhesion or a stricture or some you know, scar tissue from previous surgery that actually blocks the intestine, which actually can kill you.
5: But I don't think we're
2: talking about that here. I think we're talking about some gas pain and a mm-hmm. heating pad, some mm-hmm. fennel tea, a gentle massage of the belly would be more caring responses than milk of magnesia.
6: Okay. She, um, my Literally, mom wanted me to... It's
2: really impossible for anything to ever be stuck in the gut. Mm-hmm.
6: It's been going on for um, Eight
2: months months. What's been going on? She hasn't had a single bowel movement In eight months?
6: No, she has um, Just the um, upset stomach The burning mouth mouth and stomach
2: Is it actually her stomach Or is it her belly? Because the stomach Doesn't have any nerve ending You can have the uh, burning esophagus
6: a burning esophagus yeah okay and so in her, her mouth and, and and what burning. she feels she calls her stomach but you might call something else you know you do call something else stomach is considers-
2: not that i'm making this up she no, 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 that word to refer I, I to your intestines, but it's inaccurate and inappropriate. It's okay. Many people yeah, do, no. but it's not like I'm suddenly making up an organ of the stomach. No, there's actual organ called the stomach, and it doesn't have any nerve endings. The upper part of it where it touches the esophagus, acid can spill up there, and the esophagus can burn and feel really bad.
6: Yeah. I think this is what you are described as a, is a more accurate. Of what she's experiencing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And dandelion in any form at all is considered the absolute cure of that. And if for some reason dandelion's unavailable, and that can be anything from dandelion wine to cook dandelion greens to dandelion um, to tincture, um, if for some reason. Uh, That's not available. Another thing that is used is the juice of a finely grated potato.
4: Oh.
6: Okay, she, she wanted me to tell you that she uses dandelion a lot. Good. Every day. Yes.
4: I'm not saying that
2: dandelion will necessarily... Resolve the issue, but it should ease off the sensation in her esophagus for sure. Okay. And it's also and it, considered it, it, a laxative. Okay. So she's already doing a lot. Again, I trust our body. I trust the body's responses. If the body says, I need to not have a bowel movement... I trust that. I think it's okay.
5: Okay.
2: I don't find it a fault or something that needs to be remedied. Certainly, if there's pain in her belly, um, it's good to relieve that. And as I said, fennel seed tea, a heating pad, a gentle massage—these are all wonderful ways to help relieve that kind of pain.
6: Yeah. All right. That's good, right, Kay. Mom? So now I'm going to talk yeah, about. Just what? You talk, it's sort of like
7: it sits right by the anus and it won't come out. It's very irritating
2: and painful. Did you hear that? No.
6: It sits by the anus, won't come out, and it's irritating and painful. And it's too big to come out. And it's too big to come out. From
2: Sorry, I'm autistic, so I actually believe what I'm told. And obviously it can't be too big to come out because it does come out. Mhm. So I was just yeah. stunned into speechlessness because I don't know what to say when I'm told something that is just so impossible.
5: Right.
2: If it's too big to come out then it can never come out. Perhaps the sensation is that it's too large. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: So the colon, it has interesting parts. First, where it connects to the small intestine, it's called the ascending colon. And it comes up and it makes a kind of twist turn up by the liver. And then it is the flat part of the colon, the transverse colon. It goes from one side of the body to the other. And it makes another twist turn just uh, just under the ribs there and goes down to about the area of the hip bone or the groin. And that little twist turn there by the ribs is a place where gas can get caught. And there can be a lot of pain there from gas. And then it goes down to about the hip. And then it makes a turn, another little twist turn, toward the center of the body. Where it makes another turn, right? So it's kind of like an S there, like that's called the sigmoid, right? And it goes down into the rectum, which is connected to erect. It's the up and down part of the colon or the rectum. And the rectum is ended by two sphincters. So there's an inner sphincter and an outer sphincter. The anus that we see is the outer sphincter, and then up above that is yet another sphincter. And there can be a lot of sensation at those sphincters, because there can be a lot of sensation at those sphincters. Some people find it very arousing, and it's place where venous congestion is quite common or internal hemorrhoids. And the feeling from that is that there is a very large mass in the rectum that can't come out. And indeed, you would not want it to come out because it's a hemorrhoid. But once feces is in the rectum and putting pressure on the sphincter there's physiologically no real way for it not to come out
6: mm-hmm. and that's
5: what it's doing right now
2: sitting there right? yeah you yeah. know yeah. right so the sensation of feces sitting there is generally caused by an internal hemorrhoid Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. I understand that these things are upsetting and distressing to Moretta. Um, and I, th- I also think that. Um, and I hope you can hear me, Moretta. I you think that there. I think that there are times and places where we have to say, this is how my body is, and I am going to stop fighting it. This is how it is now. It's not like it was before. And I am going to accommodate myself to it. Because of the length of time that I was in surgery, um, I was catheterized for a very long time, a month, and when they took the catheter out, it pulled part of the tube that leads from my bladder to outside, kind of inside out, and um, it's made it slower and more difficult for me to urinate. And like Maretta, I have been complaining for months about it, and I took myself in hand and said, you know what, Susan, this is how your body is now. And really, the best thing for your health is to accommodate this. It's not the end of the world that it takes you two minutes to pee instead of 30 seconds. You have the time. It's not the worst thing in the world that your pee comes out and goes in three different directions. You have a pot to piss in. I remember living in a dorm when I was being mentored by Gene Houston in the development of human capacities, and, and there were showers, and one of the showers, unless you really turned it off, would drip. And it wasn't just a little drip, drip, you know. You'd walk in there, and that's what the toilets were, and would be going drip, 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 drip. And I'd walk over to it, and I'd shut it off, and I would have this bad attitude you know it's like whoever left the shower and after some days of this again i took myself in hand and i said you know what you're creating a really unhealthy environment here with all of this complaining you are strong and capable of walking over to the shower and turning it off count your blessings and if you can't turn the shower off without complaining then don't turn it off just listen to a drip So I want you to consider that, Maretta, and I want you to consider which things you need to say, okay, this is how I am now. I've tried my best to change it, and it hasn't changed. So now I'm going to learn to accommodate it and feel joyous and happy that I'm still alive. Oh, my God.
4: Feel
2: like yeah. Mm. All right. And then you had some questions about yourself or something oh, that's
6: okay. going on with you. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. Um, well, um, last March when COVID started, I woke up one day with an absolute shooting pain in my foot. Um, it was so bad that I actually had to go to the emergency room at the hospital in an ambulance. I have a pretty high threshold for pain, but it was kind of crazy. So I went to the hospital and I thought, God knows what, what it was, but it was really nothing. The x-ray showed nothing. And I went um, to an orthopedic person and they said I had a bone bruise. And, um, but for four months, I couldn't put like, any weight on my foot. I got back to New York and I went to a really a wonderful doctor. Um, who did um, ultrasound, therapeutic ultrasound, and now I'm walking around on my foot very well, so ha- I'm happy to report that. The reason I tell you that story is because I've had a series of other things that are quite similar to that happening in my body. My wrist actually hurt before my foot got hurt in COVID. All these things happen in COVID. I woke up one, one day, one morning, my wrist was so sore, I've had it looked at. It's got no breaks in it. Um, And it started to get better. My foot was so much worse that I sort of forgot about my wrist. And just the other day, my wrist in the middle of the night was shooting pains in every direction as if it had just been smashed by a um, a hammer. And um, it got better. And, you know, I'm not in that kind of a shooting pain now. But my hand, I can't even... uh, you know do anything with my left hand and I went to see a doctor um who could see that I was bone on bone in this little bone on the outside of my wrist and she felt she feels like she could take that out and help um get rid of that pain but she also has the suspicion that I've got some inflammatory situation going on in my body and um And um, she said she wants to rule out uh, gout and uh, rheumatoid arthritis. She didn't say I had those things, but these are the things that were swirling around in her brain when she saw this kind of response in my body. So...
0: I want to take a small bowl.
6: Yeah, but I already told her. So... um, so anyway, um
2: is my, there any my, stinging nettle growing by you? Are you near to any stinging nettle?
6: My mother has lots of bags of nettles.
2: No. So I not growing.
6: Huh. I don't know any if there's stinging, stinging nettle, nettle near you. I don't think so.
2: Because taking your wrist and putting it into stinging nettle and stinging it might cure it.
5: Huh. Okay.
2: I did a two-hour class on stinging nettle, and the second hour, I went around the class and asked people, what's your favorite way to use nettle? Every single person of the 60 people in that class had a favorite way of using nettle. But about a third of them, their favorite way of using it was urtication, which is stinging a swollen or inflamed painful joint with stinging nettle, which causes a very strong chemical reaction in the body, eliminating the pain, and often mm, seeing to it that it never comes back. Wow. You know, one of the things that I have seen over the years is that taking our pains to the medical profession usually results in more pain. Mm -hmm. Certainly thinking that surgery would cure pain um, requires a leap of faith because surgery is painful and it takes months if not years to get over the pain from the surgery. And one of the reasons that many people are addicted to painkilling drugs is because they were given them to relieve the pain of surgery. I'm not saying that well, surgery is um, never called the for, therm- but I'm saying that surgery to relieve pain is somewhat of an oxymoron because surgery will always cause pain. And every surgeon that I've ever talked to says, well, you know, we do our best not to cut too many nerves, but they're in different places in people, so we can't make any guarantees. mm mm-hmm. yeah so it, it's one of the things that I talk about in abundantly well is that rather than um, f- following the medical profession's um, advice to go directly from diagnosis to drugs or surgery, um, that there are other medicines that we can apply ourselves to. How is your nourishing herbal infusion intake these days?
6: I'm not really taking many.
2: Mm-hmm. You might want to consider starting to drink them again because they help to uh, build strong bones and to relieve the kind of pain that's going on. Now, I am partly joking in what I say next, but I am also partly not joking in what I say next. You have felt like your wrist was hit by a hammer. There was a horrible stabbing pain in your foot. Is this correct? Did I hear these things correctly?
6: I would say yes, absolutely, 100%. Yeah.
2: Okay. All of us. level, said, I wonder if someone has made a puppet of this woman and is hitting it with a hammer or stabbing Mm -hmm. it with a pin. I suspect you may have thought the same thing. We don't have to necessarily believe it to think it. But the fact that we have thought it, and that it seems so there, would indicate that it might not be a bad idea to protect yourself. The classic action is garlic, isn't it? No, pardon? The classic protection is garlic. You take some garlic and you put it in your windowsills. Yeah. And as you do so, you say, any harm that comes to me, go back to its owner. Yeah? Very simple, right? Yeah, Yeah. You're not causing anyone harm. But you are suggesting that if anyone is offering you any harm, that it, that harm turn around and go back to its owner.
6: I like that. I yeah, there I... has been a lot going on. and There has been a lot going on, on in my life while these things are happening. Without a doubt. Yeah. So you
5: have a very strong I mean, Understand. No.
2: All right, I'm going to offer you green blessings and go on to the next caller.
6: Thank you very much.
2: Good night. Good night.
3: All right, the next caller is coming from the 631 area code. Are you there in the 631? We will come back to that caller. The next caller is coming from the 412 area code.
2: Hello? Hello.
8: Hi, Susan. Thank you very much for taking my call. It's a delight to be on the call today. I've listened to hundreds, but I've never called in or listened to a hundred from my podcast. And I am calling because about two months ago, I... Had I was uh, playing with chicken wire for my rabbit run and chicken run. And I scraped my eye when I read about it for a little bit. It seemed like people said corneal abrasions would go away after about two to three days. And it seemed like uh, everything was pretty good by the end of the week. I did, like, made some cum-free infusion that week and used the, the mash to... Uh, I I laid that on my eye a couple of times. So I, I kind of tried to this it a few times with just comfrey, and I am doing most of the infusions that week and, and trying to do extra comfrey. Um and I and I felt I felt pretty good for the last two to three months and then just this last week, um, I felt like I had like it like suddenly got very blurry over this weekend, like concentrated in one spot. And so um, so then i have been reading a little bit more and, and like up until this point I'd mostly believed that corneal abrasion would self-heal and then now I'm considering whether a doctor's visit is appropriate just like the idea that a scar could form if if it's not healing and um, so I've again done like so a night or two ago I did another come poultice and in the morning I had a little black thing come out so I I am wondering if I'm getting more dust and grit because I've been going to the beach a lot. So I'm I'm wondering if maybe I'm letting too much grit in the eye and would love to hear any perspective you have on it.
0: Thank you.
2: I can hear that your eye is really being bothered. And it seems to start was a poke in the eye from chicken wire. And that, that poke didn't so much actually go into your eyeball as just scratch. The typical sensation of a corneal scratch is every time you blink your eye, there's pain. And if you don't blink your eye, there's no pain.
8: I have not. Neither. I don't really remember even much pain that day. More sort of a a little a little bit of blurriness that first day, and and it happened a little bit in the over uh, in in the intervening two months. But um, maybe most likely in the morning, and then it would be it would generally settle. So um, it's it's interesting to hear. I didn't know that corneal abrasion would uh, often have a little bit of pain so did with, with
2: it, which I have not felt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And much more so when the eyelid moves because then it's moving over the cornea, whereas when the eyelid's not moving, it's not moving over the cornea. Um, so I wonder if it was a corneal scratch or abrasion at all initially. It might have been. Um, but it's not exactly like that. Um, blurriness generally... Hers because the eyeball itself is not spherical and thus the focal point of the light when it reaches over at the back of the eye is too far or too near giving a blurry image at a distance or near up um Many people get blurry vision near up as they age, as their eyeball kind of flattens out with age. Blurriness, especially in the center of the visual field, and especially blurriness, which comes on rather rapidly, can Mm. be macular degeneration,
4: Mm.
2: in which there's an actual... Loss of vision through degeneration of certain cells. So, if the blurriness increases, it would definitely be time
8: to seek some professional help. And you, are you aware of whether macular degeneration is age-related and/or like of physical trauma, like in, in fire or? Uh,
1: I don't uh, necessarily.
8: There
2: has to be a physical trauma. That would cause it, I think it the physical trauma might have alerted you to the area Ah, uh,
8: that's, that's, an, that's an interesting, yeah, that's, I appreciate that perspective um
2: yeah, and again, I you know it's not i am certainly not making a diagnosis, I don't know what's right. actually going on um and this point, it sounds like neither do you um and so what I'm saying is If the fuzziness clears up on its own, then it's probably okay. If it expands or gets worse, then it might be macular degeneration. If it stays about the same, you need glasses. Right. Right. Because because as we age, our eyeballs literally change shape. Right. Um, making yeah, things that all were formerly sharp look blurry. And again, I don't know. I think you said it was just at one spot, the blurriness. Yeah.
8: I mean, I guess, you know, I have this story that, you know, is, is very much connected to like the day that that the, the chicken wire incident happened, like it i noticed it since then. I appreciate your, like, you know, potentially a shift in the story that that just brought more awareness to something
2: else that was and is was going on. Um, exactly. That's pretty much long in the past as far as your body's concerned. Okay. Um,
8: and then, so, potentially just kind of, you think... Um, like I'm, I don't have access to fresh hempy, so I, I've been doing it whenever I make hempy infusion, like uh-huh. putting a bolster over access, the eye. Have
2: access to chickweed. This is a good time of the year for chickweed.
8: I don't. I, have, I. I. There is a. There's definitely no Solaria down here in in Mexico, but there is a plant that's called false chickweed that I don't think is botanically connected, but it looks just like uh-huh. chickweed. And um, uh-huh. it,
2: how about something um, in the Malvaceae family?
8: Oh, I, I, I'm. it's my favorite family. So I, I've got a mm-hmm. bad tree on my property. I've got all kinds of hibiscus and uh, okra growing. That's what in, you want, so then. Those are the fresh leaves you want. Okay, so use
2: the fresh leaves and then... Of that. Yeah, the fresh leaves of the hibiscus would work beautifully well.
8: Um, you can cook them
2: up, you can mash them up, you can chop them up. and pour some hot water on them and then put that over? Sure thing. Yep, it's all good. You don't have to pour hot water on it, but you can. Okay.
8: I, yeah, I guess I guess you've helped me realize that cold water helps draw out uh, the mucilagin that's in, like, some of the infusion. So um, Yes. W- w- would that be su- supportive, or you're even saying just the, the fresh leaf poultice? Like I'm saying just the water? fresh leaf I,
2: I, macerated is usually yeah. enough.
8: Okay. I just think about nuclei coming out in the in the water. But it, uh, I'll, I'll yeah, it does, but ahead. it comes
2: also comes out when it's uh smashed or chopped. Okay. Um, okay. that's great. Yeah. Um, I think I, I since you love them all as ACA, I think it's gonna be a, a wonderful uh relationship. You too. That is
8: that is great. And uh, yeah, I appreciate this because it's it's shifting the the story to something that that feels a little bit more like okay, I can maybe pulse with it for a little while, but then I'll research from macular degeneration, and then if uh, if if it seems like it's not going away, then potentially there's a good moment to to get some stuff checked. Decide whether or not I want to move into getting glasses or potentially have something that I need some
2: support with. Like. You got it. Well, thanks thanks, for, very oh, nice thanks for calling and sharing with us tonight.
8: Wonderful. You have a beautiful evening. Appreciate it. Green
2: blessings. Good night.
8: Green blessings.
3: All right. We're going to go back to the caller in the 631 area code. Are you there in the 631?
2: Well,
3: the next caller is coming from the five one six area code. Hey, Susan, it's Kimberly again.
2: Hi, Kimberly.
9: I'm becoming an irregular. It's like addictive listening to your show. All right, Hey, um, I just wanted to offer up um, a couple of things. I was listening um, to the um, bowel movement discussion, and as you may or may recall, I, uh, I became an un- unwilling semi-expert in those things with my mama. Um, And, you know, I can understand how uncomfortable it can be. Um, At least it was for my mom. Um, And one of her biggest allies um, was burdock root infusion. Um, And she used that very successfully. And then... Oh, how lovely. Yeah. Um, So I just... Uh, I didn't hear that come up in the discussion, and I know that was one of her favorites. It doesn't taste bad. It's not irritating on the throat, that sort of thing. Um, And then the other thing, uh, the real trick with the prune juice, for her anyway, um, and she was a lifelong um, laxative user, so with colon cancer, you know, multiple times. So she's not the typical, you know, person. Uh, but the other thing was, uh, and she learned this trick from the nurse one time when she just really couldn't go and it had been very much too long, um, if you warm up the prune juice and you use warm prune juice, and the nurses recommended warm prune juice and milk of magnesia, um, which is hideous if you mix it, so... Um, But anyway, um, at least warming the prune juice, that seemed to actually make a difference. So I just wanted to share those two things (laughs) with you. And, um, you know, that was sort of her last-ditch thing, the warm prune juice and milk and magnesia, if she, you know, couldn't make anything else work. But the burdock was a real ally for her. So that was the one I just really wanted to, you know, to mention.
2: Oh, thank you so much. That's wonderful. And the warm prune juice, that is a great trick. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know why, but
9: I guess uh, you know it makes a difference for your bowels. It's like, oh, it's nice and warm. I'll relax. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, that was all I really had to offer. And um, other than my love and and thanks and blessings.
2: And great blessings to you too. Love you.
9: Love you too. Okay.
3: And I'll remind the callers to please press 1 if you have a question for Susan. And we'll try the 631 area code again and see if anybody else queues up. Are you there in the 631? All right. I think we're going to give up on that one. And it looks like one person did queue up down here in the 512 area code.
5: Yes, hello? Hello. Oh, good, good, good good evening. Lovely to to hear you, uh, Susan. I have um, I suppose I'm in my early sixties, but I remember around uh, uh, when I was in my forty four, I, I noticed itching in my private parts. Uh, that was kind of bearable, but it has become a little a little worse, and I mentioned it to a skin doctor and she she said she she'd kind of looked at it and she said that I have lichen sclerosus and it's she said it's autoimmune disease of course I would like to um do more than just apply a cream if I can if, if there's anything I can do to heal myself from it
2: yes it's a considered a rare disease but that doesn't mean that Tens of thousands of women um, have something that is um, incurable, which is basically what the medical profession says. It says it's a rare disease because it's a rare disease. Um, It's incurable, and we're not even going to look for a solution to it because it's rare. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Um, We know not a lot about autoimmune diseases except that in a a kind of fatal error, the immune system begins attacking regular body tissue that it should leave alone. Mm -hmm. The modern medical idea is that this is a hyper-response to the immune system, that the immune system is working um, too hard, And that you shouldn't do anything to um, help the immune system. Mm -hmm. The alternate point of view is that the immune system is exhausted. Have you ever been around a small child who is so exhausted that they are bouncing off the walls? Right. Right?
5: Mm -hmm. Yes.
2: So. So the alternative view is that the immune system is completely exhausted and therefore attacking the body's own tissues. And the thing to do is to support and nourish the immune system, and it will stop doing that. Okay. And I want you to understand that that viewpoint is a direct counter to the medical viewpoint, which is under no circumstances should you improve the immune system because that will make your condition worse.
4: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Herbs that can improve and help the immune system include things like astragalus. Astragalus is a root. You can make an infusion using one ounce of the root in a quart of boiling water, letting it steep overnight, and you don't even have to strain it because the root is heavy and you can just pour it right out of the bottle. Um, anywhere from one to two cups of astragalus infusion a day refrigerated refrigerate it and it'll stay for easily uh, for four or five days in the refrigerator. Okay. Echinacea tincture. I was just reading about a study, I think, done in Israel um, in which people were using Echinacea tincture to prevent COVID infections, and they found that Echinacea was very effective um, in helping the immune system to be prepared for whatever was going to come without causing an inflammatory reaction or a cytokine cascade. Mm-hmm. So Echinacea's has long been a friend of mine. Um, Echinacea tincture. I like the tincture made from Augustifolia root rather than purpurea root. And in a situation like yours, um, a dropperful or two of echinacea taken in the morning and again at night would probably be enough to help your immune system and to tell it that it doesn't have to attack your own body.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh, you mean dropful? Uh, take the, uh, the one dropful of full uh, uh,
10: Dropperful.
5: Dropperful. Yeah, that's. Thank you. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. Okay. And then
2: astragalus wrong. can also be taken as a tincture if it's easier for you. Mm-hmm. It's just very difficult to drink echinacea infusion because it has a very tingly, strange taste. But the astragalus infusion is actually very delicious. It has a sweet kind of woody taste that most people like a lot. So astragalus either as a tincture, if that's easier for you, or mm-hmm. to buy the astragalus and to make it as an infusion, which I think is more effective.
5: Okay. And, and both, of, both
2: of mm-hmm. those things can help your immune system. Now, you mentioned itching. and And yes. um, Zoe, the apprentice, and I have been talking about plantain this week, and we've been talking about how wonderfully plantain relieves all itches. Mm -hmm. Plantain can be found in your lawn, chewed up, and applied to any area that itches, or it can be bought as a salve, plantain salve, and applied to any area that itches. Okay. Plantain is soothing and softening, and often in lichen sclerosis, the tissues become very hard and wooden. Mm-hmm.
4: hmm
2: And so the plantain helps to counter that directly.
5: Okay. Okay. Uh, where can I get the plantain uh, salve? Can,
2: can Red I buy Moon it? Herbs sells plantain salve. Awesome. That skill, mm-hmm. Mountain Herbals, also sells plantain sass.
5: Awesome. Wonderful. So it's uh, it's great to hear that uh, that I can take care of myself once I follow this regime that I should be able to heal myself from that lichen sclerosis.
2: That's not what I said.
5: Mm-hmm. Just Yeah, I suppose, no. Help my immune system.
2: Exactly. hmm at this point, what you've done is to trade a set of symptoms for a diagnosis. And now, instead of having um, symptoms that belong to your body, you have a diagnosis that belongs to your mind. Mm-hmm. It's much harder to treat your mind than it is to treat your body. Yeah. So understand that uh, that... once you've decided to accept that you have a particular disease, um, it can be more difficult to not have it than it is to simply modify, moderate, and work with the symptoms.
5: Mm
2: -hmm. In other words, lichen sclerosis is not a life-threatening condition, am I correct? That's right. So we don't necessarily have to get rid of it in order for you to have a healthy, happy, and satisfying life. Mm
4: -hmm. What
2: we want to do is to moderate the symptoms and to make it livable as it has been for many years. You said you first started noticing the itchiness close to 20 years ago, am I right?
5: That's right, yes. Yeah. Mhm. Oh, wonderful. Okay, that sounds great. And I am drinking your infusions for years and years. Every single day I, I drink linden and uh, chickweed and I have um, uh, oat straw, of course, and red clover. These are mine. Uh, uh, Linden flower. These are mine. Uh, uh, Herbs I circulate every every week.
2: Oh, how yeah. wonderful! I can't
5: imagine life without it. I just can't imagine.
2: I I am
5: completely agree with you. Mhm. Yes, I appreciate your teaching, uh, Susan, very much.
2: Thank and, you for your uh, thank, I thank l- you I let somebody sharing. else uh,
5: uh, space. Thank you so much. Good night. Green
2: good
5: night. Good good evening.
3: The next caller is coming from the 352 area code.
10: Hi, Susan. This is Carol from Nashville. How are you?
2: Hi, Carol.
10: I'm amazed at how many times you repeat the process for Nourishing Herbal Infusions. Your patience is astounding. And I've been listening all day because I went on a road trip, so I've been Listen, oh, my goodness, I listened to that really good one about Lucinda Herring. Yes. Wow. I got a – she's something else. Um, I I I don't forgot my question, but it was a good one. I do have something to joke to tell you, though. You want to hear it? Sure. Yes, of course you do. So I was standing with one of my girls today in line, and there were all these X's for the six-foot social distancing. And she looks over and goes, I bet this would be really confusing for pirates. And I thought I was going to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> the whole X-Mark situation. That is wonderful. So that's great. <laughs> and, and we just got this whole vision of, like, walking in there with metal detectors. And
2: <laughs> Art Linkletter used to have a part of his show that was called Kids Say the Darndest Things. Oh, I love it. Who knows how scripted it was, but they had, you know, tots out there saying that aren't things. I
10: bet the pirates are awful confused and just thought, marred mighty. I bet they are. I can't find that booty. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, that's my last medicine. I completely I don't know what my question was, so I'll call you next week if I remember it.
2: Okay, Carol from Nashville. Next week.
10: Next week. Good night. Good night, good blessings.
3: So that was the last caller, unless somebody wants to press one. Um, There was a question that I just looked at on the on some messages here, and it says, um, "I was reading a post yesterday about masks causing lung cancer, uh, and I'm wondering what your opinion is on wearing masks."
2: Just a short. Could you explain to me, Rebecca, any possible way that a mask could cause lung cancer? I. I, You know, I am not an imaginative person. I'm highly creative, but I'm not imaginative. And so I simply can't, like, make up any way that that could happen. Lung cancer is generally caused by inhaling particulate matter such as inhaling asbestos, a mask would block that, such as inhaling um, smoke, like tobacco smoke or smoke from ha, ha, forest fires, right? And a mask would stop that, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, not really well from forest fires, but it does a little something. So in every instance where there's a carcinogen that would come into your lungs, the mask would block it. Unless what we're being asked to think is that somehow the material that the mask is made of is in and of itself carcinogenic and therefore you're wearing a carcinogen close up to your face. But I haven't ever seen such a mask. Yeah,
3: and there's no way that the the breath, you know, your own breath would become carcinogenic from
2: No, your own breath is not carcinogenic. Like
3: yeah, yeah. So I think there's a lot of information floating around, and especially when you're reading stuff on posts and you know, like off of social media, <laughs> you gotta be careful what you take in, you know. So, I know a lot of people do have concerns about wearing masks for long periods of time, and that it does, you know, it's hard to breathe in them, and uh, you know, like that some people say that they they experience lots of breathing problems, yeah, from from wearing masks. So it's certainly possible that you could
2: feel like you were having a breathing problem. Yeah. I mean, just restricting air. You know, claustrophobia can set in at any moment, especially when there's something up over your face like that. And you're in a situation in which you're getting uptight and your breathing is getting shallow. Mm -hmm. And rather than say, whoa, Man, I am getting really uptight, and this whole situation is making me freak out. It's easier to say, I can't breathe because I have a mask on. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um. But, in fact, the studies that have been done uh, show that that you're not, like, building up carbon dioxide in the mask. They're not airtight, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: We're not okay. talking about vacuum seal around your nose and mouth here.
3: Looks like we had three people queue up within that little conversation there, so but I think we'll probably have just time for one, for one person to have okay, their question. Okay, uh, you get here. to be the
2: finger there and choose the one.
3: <laughs> okay, in the 510
2: area code. Hello, 510, you won tonight. Hello? Hello, Can you hear what's
4: me? up? Yes, again. can. I'm, how are you? I I have a congenitative heart failure, and um, I, um, my ejection fraction is like 25, and uh, I'm in and out of the hospital with edema. So that's like a big buildup of water in my system. Yeah, and it's so a real I'm finding bad. The, I'm, I'm fighting the edema, and I need to know what I can do to uh, pipis edema? There's
2: a couple of things that might be helpful to you. First of all, Hawthorne is known for directly increasing the heart's ability to pump and thus countering your congestive heart failure. It takes a while for it to work. It's not a miracle drug. It's an herb, but it's in the Rose family, it's as safe as eating cherries or apples. So you can get Hawthorne in any form that you want. Um, mm-hmm. Herbalists and Alchemists sell Hawthorne paste, which some people like. You can find the Hawthorne berry tincture. You can buy Hawthorne berries and make your own tincture. I have a YouTube showing you how to do that, and it's completely – the YouTube is free. Um, you can also make um, a tea from Hawthorne berries or Hawthorne leaves. Regular daily use is a really good idea. And the faster thing, but start with a hawthorn right away because it takes a while, is Mm. dandelion. And dandelion is, dandelion root especially, is renowned for its ability to help clear fluid from the body. The dandelion doesn't work, and you could take it in a dropperful dose. And if that is not enough, and you should see results pretty quickly within the first day. And you can take, take that dropperful two or three times the first day. If that doesn't seem enough, take two dropperfuls two or three times. Again, it. it's okay. dandelion root. You can't hurt yourself with it. right? You can keep increasing the dose. and If that doesn't work and you finish the bottle of dandelion root tincture then see if cleavers, C-L-E-A-V-E-R-S, cleavers, which works through a different pathway and more through the lymphatic system, would be your ally, again, cleavers tincture, the fresh flowering plant, and start with a dropper full twice a day and increase
4: as you need Okay, what do you think about um a golden rod
2: in what form
4: at shirt?
2: I have nothing against it, but I don't know of it as being particularly useful for what's happening with you okay. Goldenrod is a member of the Asteraceae family, which includes plants like echinacea, sunflower, and chamomile. And they're, in general, not plants known for their activity on the cardiovascular system. Okay. Okay. So basically... the, the, the things that I mentioned, they're in the Hawthorne family, like cherries and apples, have very good... Reputations for helping the heart and for helping to strengthen the heart. So, in addition to Hawthorne, you could also eat more applesauce. Tis the season.
4: Applesauce.
2: Yeah, applesauce. Um, But the
4: Hawthorne
2: uh, Hawthorne is going to be your big buddy. Hawthorne and you are going to go for the long haul there, and you are going to see. Some pretty amazing things Again it takes a while It's not a miracle drug But within a week or two You should start to see some real results from the Hawthorne Be consistent with it
4: A couple times Please. a day okay. One more question Do you have anything for gout pain? Or just to uh, Flush the uric acid out A uric acid flush or something
2: Well, you can't really flush the uric acid out, you know. Every chemistry set has acids and alkalis, and the body is a chemistry set. Now, most mammals run their chemistry sets with ascorbic acid. It's the primary acid for their chemistry set. And they make ascorbic acid, and they make pretty much of it. But human beings, somewhere way back, decided, oh, ascorbic acid, that's so... You know, plebeian. We're going to use uric acid instead. And so the human body's chemistry set runs with uric acid. You flush the uric acid out of your body, you're dead. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You can't get rid of it. it. It's part of every chemical reaction in your body. Right. But you are part of a subgroup of human beings who overdo it. And your body makes too much uric acid.
4: Right.
2: And meanwhile, that's why we have so little need for vitamin C. The daily requirement for good health is about 60 milligrams of vitamin C, hardly any at all. We just don't need very much of it because we're using a different acid. So the thing to do is not to flush the uric acid out, but to um, inform yourself about what foods increase, uric acid, and see if those foods are triggers for you. If they are, you need to leave them be. If they're not, then you can eat them. Red meat, red wine, some older cheeses are the usual culprits.
4: But they're not triggers for everybody. Well, my trigger is the diuretics that I take.
2: I hear you. And you like take those because too. of the congestive heart failure? Yes. hmm Mm-hmm. And are they potassium-sparing diuretics?
4: Uh No. I, I need to take potassium, too.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is your doctor open to tinkering with your diuretics?
4: I think he is, yes. Yeah.
2: You, you know... If you're going to take a drug, it's worth getting one that really fits. And they are different, even if they seem to do the same thing. They do work through different channels. And uh, I think you haven't quite found the right fit yet.
4: Not yet, no. Not quite.
2: Thank you for calling and sharing with us.
4: And please feel free to call back
2: at any time if you're having any uh, problems with what we've talked about or you want to talk about this at greater length. But right now, I need to say goodbye and to introduce our guest tonight. And I'm very happy to introduce Carrie Waring, a modern medium. She's passionate about supporting women to connect to their soul. ...to their soul's essence... ...and to the divine female. Carrie Waring... ...wants you to find... ...that you embody your purpose... ...by showing up as a being... ...that is sensual... ...confident, creative, intuitive... ...and being energetically aligned... ...enabling us to expand our mediumship. With her work spanning more than 20 years... Carrie is the author of A New Kind of Normal, uh, Lock the Medium Within, and Wisdom of the Soul, How to Live Life Created with Love and Inspiration, Made Simple and Right Now. Love Supporting Women Online with her Creative Heart, Feminine Spirit Academy. Carrie lives in Sydney, Australia with her partner, Our Fur Babies. Loves being mum to her two adult children, and is a not so secret country music fan. Welcome to the show, Carrie.
7: Oh, thank you, Susan. Thank you for having
2: me. You're welcome. Um, what do you mean you are a medium?
7: Well, I, I, over the years have developed the ability to communicate with the spirit world. In an evidential way so I connect with people's loved ones and and for me it's also I communicate with the universe as well because I believe that everything has has creative energy everything has a soul and we can communicate with the with energy it's just a, a new level of um, communication so that's what I mean by being a medium mm-hmm.
2: So, when you say that you communicate um, with souls or spirits, are those strictly the souls or spirits of people who are dead, or do you also communicate with the the people who are alive um,
7: it, it's i'm able to communicate with your energy and with your that part of you, your spirit that is connected to the divine. So yes, I can do that. And I do also communicate with those that have passed on. So because for me, there's no separation. We are all spirit. Um, I see that um, your your soul essence is your spirit is there to communicate just as much as it is with the spirit world, which is all we are all part of.
2: And you think that anyone has this capability and can nurture it in themselves
7: absolutely like i was personally i wasn't someone that um, grew up having any kind of recognizable psychic talent i didn't make premonitions i didn't see dead people in my room i didn't um, what happened for me was my um, brother. Um, took his own life in 1995 and that led me to questioning uh, the meaning of life for me Um, and from that time I've had been able to um, I guess you know expand the soul and I think it's an inherent um, aspect of the soul I think the soul is capable of doing it it just really comes about through an intention and and nurturing whether that intention is unconscious or conscious Um, but we're all capable of doing it and I usually say to people the only difference between me and you is the fact that I've spent you know 20 odd years working at it (laughs) (laughs)
4: so it's not just like
2: a gift that some people are given and other people don't have it's a, a, a human capability that like any human like any human being could theoretically learn to play the violin.
7: that's how I liken it because that's been my experience. So I certainly, absolutely believe that. There's nothing special that stands me out. I live a everyday life. Suburban Sydney, you know, everyday mum <laughs> you know, I deal with life challenges just like anyone else. And um I certainly think that if I can do it, then anyone is capable of doing it, essentially.
2: Did something happen? I mean, you were just kind of going along like an everyday mom, you know, everyday goddess. And then wham, suddenly you were a medium. What happened?
7: Well, what happened was, firstly, um, the need for something more to life came calling when I lost my brother. So um, I needed more purpose in my life. I needed a greater connection in some way and I didn't fully understand what that was. And then um, a friend suggested I read a book called The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield. And um, I I know it's a classic now and it's, you know, a lot of people know about it. And for me at the time when it started talking about auras, it started talking about um coincidences coincidences are not really coincidences that there's purpose behind them that we are all connected it was just like a light bulb moment for me and that was in March of 1996 I read that book and from there it was a progression into um meditation circles discovering a spiritualist church Um, And I guess coming upon my first um, teachers of spirituality and the ability um, to develop some level of psychic ability at that point. So that's really what happens. And I know um, lots of people usually come to it either through um, some form of loss or pain or they come to it a little bit more where it's a little bit more unconscious and they have all these weird experiences, psychic experiences, and they want to understand
2: that more.
4: Hmm.
2: So what would you say to someone who says, okay, um, sounds good, I want to be a medium?
7: I guess the first thing is absolutely, I would say, that it's possible. I would also say it's not something that happens overnight. It, it is a, a journey for want of a better word, you know, it is first and foremost about you and your own connection to what I call spirit, some people might call it God, you know, the universe, the higher consciousness. Um, but I would also say find a good teacher Find a good mentor that um, if that's what you want to step into and embrace in your life, then find a good mediumship teacher. And I usually say to people, for example, I can't teach you tarot. I've never studied tarot, so I can't teach you tarot. But can I teach you to communicate with the spirit world? Yes.
2: Interesting. Interesting interesting. Okay. That's an exciting (laughs) topic. Yeah, yeah. Um, So it's going to take a while um, for any one of us to get to the place where you are, as you said, because you have those years of practice. So I'm going to guess that people ask you to communicate for them.
7: Uh, yes lots of people do that because lots of people they want they want to hear the message but don't necessarily want all the relationship to this to the universe for themselves they yeah they just want the yep I just want to hear that my loved ones okay can you do that for me or I just need a message and I need some guidance or direction can you do that and Lots of people do that, and that is part of the work that I've
2: done over the years. Could you share with us any particularly interesting stories from that? Um,
7: there, there have been uh, quite a few over the years, and I usually share one, one story that was really in my early days, so I'm going back quite a few years, and I can remember because I do group sessions where I go into people's homes, a little bit like, you know, um, AKA John Edward, and I stand up and in front of the groups, who will bring through their loved ones. And I was doing this to two women who um, were married to brothers. And I was bringing through their mother-in-law and the information that I had identified her. They certainly recognised that it was their mother-in-law. and then their mother-in-law who this lady who's in this spirit world she mentioned the name Fred and she wanted to talk about Fred but what she was saying was she didn't like him she didn't like Fred she didn't want to hang out with him in this spirit world and they were a little bit unsure they were oh we don't know we don't know who she's talking about and then just another minute went by and they said well actually we do know what Fred but he's not dead he's not passed away and at that point Fred had shown me a um a funeral procession I could see that with my my clairvoyance in my head and that was my confirmation that he was in the spirit world and I said to them um look Fred's showing me a funeral I'm going to stick with this I'm not um doubting it Think you guys will have to go away and check this piece of information, and lo and behold, they did do that, and I did hear back later that Fred had had passed away, and they just didn't know it. Um, so for me, that's one of the stories that is now, just the,
2: the they that you're talking about. Were they living people or spirits?
7: The living people. So the the two the women that were married didn't to, know
2: this other person had passed away. Correct. Got it. Thank you.
7: Yes. Yep. Um So yeah, they had to go like the two women who were married to brothers. My recipients had to go away and check that piece of information. And um, yeah, I did hear back that they were. <laughs> um, surprised and certainly their husbands at the time had turned around and said okay you're never going to go see that woman again
2: (laughs) Ah! (laughs) oh my goodness so one of the things that you are really passionate about is women yes and um could you tell us more about that
7: Well, I think that comes from, naturally, from... I have found over the years that um, the vast majority, 90% of people that come to me are women. And I think that's just a little bit because there's... um, I think we give ourselves more permission to connect with our emotions and we give ourselves more permission to sort of um, be... um, you know, a little bit more curious and a little bit more spiritual. And while that's changing now, because uh, I certainly see it more with my kids' um, generation, over the years it has been, uh, you know, ninety percent women that sort of have naturally gravitated towards me. And I know, even for myself, I have been, you know, I relate to women. You know, I'm a mum. I've been through divorce. I've grief um, all those things that we as women experience I just um, relate to and I'm really passionate about I know a few few years back I discovered the power of the divine feminine which is a real thread within our soul and we all have it male and female which is responsible for our intuition it's responsible for our sense of creativity our sense of nurturing it's responsible for um, our sense of connection and our want to be of service and i found for me personally that when i connected with this within my own soul and embraced more of my femininity and yes it meant embracing um becoming more whole with my sexuality becoming more whole with all of those aspects, I found that life just began to flow more with ease and grace. It, I found myself even more connected. I found myself feeling more empowered um, and more, even more connected with the universe from a creativity perspective.
2: I so agree with you. And I connect this to the X chromosome
6: uh, because, ah, both,
2: okay. yep. because both men and women have an X chromosome.
6: That's correct. Yes. Yeah.
2: So we do have the divine female. Now I do make a distinction between feminine and female because I am female, but I am not very feminine. Mm-hmm. I look silly in pink ruffles. <laughs>
7: well I think I think that's feminine our interpretation. feminine
2: is what the culture says a woman should be female is what a woman is
7: okay, I get it i think what I look at it as is if we can express it in whatever way works for us um this for me being um feminine is not necessarily about oh I'm wearing pink you know um I know for me I, my favorite piece of clothing are jeans you
2: know um, but <laughs> not what your culture would call feminine but no. female was but, doubt. yeah and so and again, I get where you, where you're going it's important for us to understand that cultures define what is feminine and what is masculine and we can you know, decide to cue to those things or not as our own personalities dictate. But we literally have no choice about female and male, although we are being told we have a choice because those are genetic. You can do anything surgically and hormonally to change your appearance, but you can't change what's in every cell of your body. You're either female, XX, or you're male, XY. And if you want mm-hmm. to be male and cut off what's between your legs, take hormones and grow breasts, that's absolutely fine, and I'll call you she and I have no problem. And you'll probably be very feminine because most of them are, but they're not female.
7: Okay, yeah, I haven't really got into the physiological side of things. I'm more about the essence of the soul. And I think the body about is this-
0: part.
2: Female is the essence and feminine is not. That's exactly why I'm talking to you about this, because you are of the essence. It's important to you to be of the essence and to be able to distinguish between what's a human contrivance, feminine, and what's essential, which is female. So what do you see about mediumship in the future? Is there a future for mediumship?
7: Oh, absolutely. I think um, it'll as it has over the last 20 years, it'll continue to um, grow and expand. It'll become more, um, I won't say accepted, but I think more and more people will become even more curious. Like when I first um, became involved, um, it wasn't on your TVs. It wasn't, you know, it was thanks to John Edward that he broke that barrier and brought mediumship into our home into our homes, so it'll continue to grow, but one of the things I think we will see a change with it. So yeah, I believe that um, right now, mediumship is widely recognized as um, the ability to communicate with those who have passed away, so loved ones, and um, unless you can do that, there's a bit of a um, view out there that you're not a medium. Whereas I honestly believe that we'll see more specific uses for it. I think we will see an evolution, and I think we'll see those uses, not just dealing with people's grief, but also being more from inspiration and helping humanity in a great deal number of ways. And I guess the biggest example that I can give you of that now, right now is um, Anthony Williams, the medical medium. Um, I'm sure you sort of might know about him, and that's where in his first book he talks about having a connection, a mediumship connection to spirit from the age of four. But the conversation has always just been around health. Um, I think we'll see an expansion of that. Uh, I think we'll see more mediums coming in and having their own unique um, purpose with it, and it won't just be about. Um, healing grief or proving the continuous existence of the soul. There'll be other unique uses for it.
2: So, mediumship can actually help increase joy.
7: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's very much so because I think uh, a journey with mediumship, a journey where you're um, conscious of your connection in that way does align you with your authentic self and your purpose and all of those things bring joy.
2: Mm, and and a, a sense, as you say, a sense of purpose, I think is something that many people are searching for now.
7: Absolutely. And probably even more so after the year that we've had, you know, people its given time for people to reflect and adjust their sales, you know, if they need to. And, and within that, people will be sort of searching and going, okay, what's next? You know, <laughs> how do, how do I want to do life going forward?
2: Uh, Carrie, I'm having so much fun talking to you. I'm being a little negligent in not asking you to talk about your books and to let people know how they get your books and how they can get in touch with you.
7: Oh, thank you for that. Um, certainly... People are more than welcome to visit my website, which is kerrywaring.com. And and I am very active on Facebook. So again, it's Kerry Waring Medium. And by all means, you know, I'm approachable. So just, you know, send me an email, drop by, say hello. Um, but they're probably the most um, readily, easy, accessible places to find me.
2: And that's K-E-R-R-I-E. Carrie, wearing, like what are you wearing? W e a r i n g, K e r r i, Carrie, wearing. You can find her at Facebook. And uh, how do they find a new kind of normal uh, and wisdom of the soul?
7: Um, Well, both of them are available on Amazon. I would suggest being a little cautious, though, because if you notice, just make sure you're buying it directly from Amazon or from um, a link to me because I do, especially with a new kind of normal, there are some um, listings on there that I'm going, well, how does that per- How did that person get a copy, you know? And the price is a little bit suspect. So, <laughs> so just be careful there. But they are also avail- um, a new kind of normal, which is a mediumship teaching book is available through Kindle. So that's a good option. And certainly they are well available on with my website as well.
2: At kerrywearing.com. dot com. Correct. Yeah. Now you live in Australia. Does that mean if we buy it from you, um, that there's gonna be a shipping problem?
7: Uh not a shipping problem, but there would be a shipping cost,
2: yes. If I were Which to ship yeah, if I were to ship a single book from here to Australia, I think it would cost me 20 or
7: $25. Um, something around $20 mark, I think, for sure. And and just right now, there might be a little bit of a delay, which is why I mentioned that they were available on Amazon.
2: That sounds like a good choice for people who are in North America, um, yes. even though we hear that it doesn't support you as well. Um if we don't want to ante up for that fierce shipping, I think that that Amazon is probably a better thing. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, we're coming to the end of our time together. And uh, I could certainly go on talking to you for quite a long time, which is fascinating, what you have to share with us. But it's a blog talk show, and so they just slam the door on us. And as we come into those last minutes, um, I want to um, ask you, um, what kinds of things you would want to leave us thinking about? What are the most important things that you have to say to us, Kerry?
7: Um, I want people to really, I guess, think about if if they wanted what if they wanted if they were coming to the end of their life, what what would they want to? be saying to their loved ones you know that it is about um, it's not about how well we do our to-do list that it is about connection that it is about um, how well we love and not just love of others but how well we love ourselves Um, and the fact that there is more to our existence than just powering through our to-do list And it is the connection between us and great spirit, you know, universe, God, whatever you want to call it, that really can sponsor us through our lives to experience life with more joy, peace, and harmony.
0: Hmm.
2: Joy, peace, and harmony can be nourished by connection to the spirit that is within all of us and yes. learning to be a medium and i would guess even just a lesson or two even if you don't become a professional medium but even just learning a little bit about it is going to more deeply connect you to spirit and thereby give you the possibility of nourishing and increasing the satisfaction and joy in your life do I you have that right
7: absolutely susan absolutely and Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come and share about this.
2: Carrie wearing a modern medium and she's here to tell you, you can do it too. So check out what she's doing. Carrie, I talk about reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients and there are wonderful threads in this healing cloak. And this evening I have come to very much appreciate the thread that you are weaving into this healing cloak thank you very much Rebecca Mm -hmm. and Justine thank you for helping me to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine it's not just a goal anymore it's now the reality herbal medicine is people's medicine it's the medicine that grows right outside your door Good night, everybody, and green blessings.
3: Good night, everyone.